Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Okay, so we are reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam and we're starting a new chapter. <clears throat> chapter 7 of the 6th Canto. And we're going, we're starting in Verse number one, we're going up to verse number 12 before we uh, discuss. Maharaj Prikshit inquired from Shukadeva Goswami. This, is, this chapter is called Indra Offends His Spiritual Master Bihaspati. And we always see that Indra gets himself in trouble a lot in the Bhagavatam, but he somehow turns out okay in the end. <laughs> And Jay, we're on the same time zone as you now. I mean, the same time difference as before, so it's all good. Oh, great sage, why did the spiritual master of the demigods, Brihaspati, reject the demigods who were his own disciples? What offense did the demigods commit against their spiritual master? Please describe to me this incident. Sukadeva Goswami said, O king, once upon a time, the king of heaven, Indra, being extremely proud because of his great op- his great opulence of the three worlds, transgressed the law of Vedic etiquette. Seated on his throne, he was surrounded by the Maruts, Vasus, Rudras, Adityas, uh, Ribhus, uh, Vishvadevs, Sadhyas, Ashvini Kumaras, Siddhas, Charanas, and Kandharvas, and by great saintly persons. Also surrounding him were the Vidyadharas, Apsaras, Kinaras, Patagas, birds, and Uragas, snakes. All of them were offering Indra their respects and services. And the Apsaras and Gandharas were dancing and singing with very sweet musical instruments. Over Indra's head was a white umbrella as effulgent, as effulgent as the full moon. Fanned by yucktail uh, whisks and served with all the paraphernalia of a great king, Indra was sitting with his wife, Sachi Devi, who accompanied half the throne when the great sage Bihaspati appeared in that assembly. Bihaspati, the best of the sages, was the spiritual master of Indra and the demigods, and was respected by the demigods and demons alike. Nevertheless, although Indra saw his spiritual master before him, he did not rise from his own seat or offer a seat to his spiritual master, nor did Indra offer him a respectful welcome. Indra did nothing to show him respect. Text 9. Brihaspati knew everything that would happen in the future, Seeing Indra's transgression of etiquette, he completely understood that Indra was puffed up by his material opulence. Although able to curse Indra, he did not do so. Instead, he left the assembly and in silence returned to his home. Indra, the king of heaven, could immediately understand his mistake. Realizing he had disrespected his spiritual master, he condemned himself in the presence of all the members of the assembly. Alas, what a regrettable deed I have committed because of my lack of intelligence and my pride in my material opulences. I failed to show respect to my spiritual master when he entered this assembly, and thus I have insulted him. 
Although I am the king of the demigods who are situated in the mode of goodness, I was proud of a little opulence and polluted by false ego. Under these circumstances, who in this world would accept such riches uh, at the risk of falling down? Alas, I condemn my wealth and opulence. And in the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, this is about five sentences down. According to the laws of nature, when one is extremely opulent, one becomes degraded. And this is true both individually and collectively. The demigods are situated in the mode of goodness, but sometimes even one who is situated in such an exalted position as King Indra, the king of all the demigods, falls down because of material opulence. We are now actually seeing this in America. And Prabhupada wrote this in whatever, 1970s. The entire American nation has tried to advance material opulence without striving to produce ideal human beings. The result is that Americans are now regretting the wholesale criminality of American society and are wondering how America has become so lawless and unmanageable. And at the very end of the purport, Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada writes, similarly, it is advised that the American people regret their mistaken advancement in civilization. They should take advantage, they should take advice from the spiritual master, the representative of Krishna. If they do so, they will be happy and theirs will be an ideal nation to lead the entire world. Well, America hasn't necessarily gone in that direction. <laughs> um, it, you know, you can see that, that, that what he wrote, uh, what Srila Prabhupada wrote then could have been written uh, in 2020, <laughs> probably easily, right? Um, and it's, it's a sad state of affairs in Kali Yuga that uh, people who are, that, that people, we've forgotten that leaders are meant to be, as Prabhupada calls them, ideal human beings. And generally, we vote for somebody because they're giving, as Prabhupada would write, because they're giving us sense gratification. They, they, you know, the economy is strong, or you know, or or my identity in this way, in this body, in this way, uh, connects with the identity of that candidate, and therefore I I vote for him or her. Whereas. The ideal situation is that the, the king or the president or whatever prime minister is of ideal character, is of ideal character. Um, and that hasn't, you know, that's almost, yeah, some of the, I guess I, I don't follow the uh, elections much, but I guess there is some attack on each other's character. Um, but not, I don't think from the point of view that you're meant to be a saintly person. <laughs> Right, and that 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 that, that the idea of that uh, could you imagine if someone was just running for president or something like that, and only on the thing that you know I chant sixteen rounds of the or you know I, I follow regular principles, I believe in God, and you know, that would uh, probably not be on the top of people's lists necessarily. So, in addition to that, this purport. Well, first of all, I think we in some ways we can be impressed by Indra, right? Because he immediately repented. In the uh, 18th chapter of the first canto, Srila Prabhupada writes, um, and I wonder sometimes 
if I should imitate Sugunda and put these in the chat when I have them. Whoops. So Prabhupada writes, the king, being a devotee of the Lord, this was about Yudhisthira Maharaj, did not approve of his own action. And thus he began to wa- wonder whether the, oh no, this is about Prakshamarsh, whether the sage was really in a trance or was just pretending in order to avoid receiving the king who was a chatriya and therefore a lower in rank. Repentance comes into the mind of a good soul as soon as he commits something wrong. So I think we can appreciate that Indra here, he was immediate, right? He, he messed up and he immediately said, oh, oh my God, I, 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 I made a big mistake here, right? He, uh, that's mentioned in the, uh, the two of the previous uh, verses. So that's, that's something to be impressed about. Um, and we're also learning here that opulence can make us proud. Right? I think if we were honest, at least if I was honest, and if I got a windfall, if I just, you know, got $10 million, uh, I don't, I, I'm afraid to say that the first thing I might do is buy a nice, really nice car. I don't, I don't know if I would, if I, if I, you know, maybe I would, you know, build a new temple if, uh, if it was, you know, or give a million dollars to that. I'm not sure, but I'm afraid to think that I, you know, might buy a new car, you know, and, uh, and make sure that everyone saw me driving that, you know, Maserati or whatever to the temple. <laughs> if I could bought a Ferrari, the thing about that is you can hear them from, you know, 10 blocks away. <laughs> But I don't know. I, I hope I wouldn't do that. But um, but the point is that opulence, material opulence, can um, bewilder us, can make us proud. It doesn't have to, because in in other um, religious practices and other practices of yoga, um, you're meant to give away everything. You know, uh, in Saint Francis of Assisi. He, he had practically nothing and he, he felt that, that he got, the, the more he gave away, the closer he was to God. And I heard today on a, on a talk by Sachinanda Maharaj that it's before you can really practice a yukta vairagya, it's helpful to have practiced some vairagya, you know, some form of pronouncing. And of course, this month that we're in is a good opportunity for that to, uh, to lessen our physical needs, maybe uh, take a vow around eating or, or um, of course, increasing hearing and chanting. But we also may take some kind of physical um, austerity as well. But the reality, but the but the main point in, in our Vaishnava understanding is is yukta vairagya, and that is to uh, see everything in relationship to Krishna. Hopefully we'll get to that. That's at the very last verse that we're going to study today in the next chapter. Um, anash, but we know this verse, Anashaktasya Vishayan, maybe Suganda can put this in the chat. Anashaktasya Vishayan, Yartaham Upayunjita, Nirvanda Krishna Sambande, Yuktam Vairagya Uchate, that real renunciation is seeing everything as Krishna's and therefore using everything exclusively in his service. But you can see how Indra, he just, you know, just that one, he just blew it briefly, it seems. Now, oh, thank you, Sudan, has put it in the, in the, in the chat. 
when one is not attached to anything, but at the same time accepts everything in relationship to Krishna, one is rightly situated above possessiveness. I don't know how you find these things so quickly, Sudhana, but it's very helpful. Um, so, so we, you know, and the, the interesting thing is that we can be, a pauper can be proud of his penny. I could be proud of my 2005 Prius, <laughs> since we're talking about cars, right? <laughs> you can be, you know, you can, you can uh, fall into this trap uh, in so many different ways. So we can be proud of our intelligence, or we can be proud of our good looks, or we can be proud of pretty much anything. Our, our kurta, you know, <laughs> you could be proud of almost anything in this world, yet we have to be careful of. And I was going to talk about this later, but I, I also heard today that uh, all of the 10 offenses against the holy name, they all stem from false ego. They all stem from this false conception of ourself, which, of course, is, is often expressed through pride. So we talked about pride. We talked about America. We talked about immediate repentance. Some questions or comments. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Ananda Rupa Mataji. So uh, it's interesting to note about material opulence, uh, how much uh, stress has been paid here that uh, material uh, opulence can uh, result in uh, all these anarthas within our heart and uh, can make us commit offenses or go away from Krishna. Because if we try to introspect a little bit about it, it seems like <clears throat> in material consciousness, uh, any opulence, the next thing person does is they think of enjoying sense gratification. Yeah. And in that mood, you know, when they are not doing activities around Krishna, uh, there is actually no scope to actually have any kind of purification. Basically, the mood is enjoyments, the selfish motives. And also, I was reminded, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 18, um, Charities, sacrifices, austerity should never be given up. <clears throat> so if if someone is blessed with opulences, I guess, I mean, after receiving these teachings, it's very, um, very apparent that one should find uh, ways to somehow engage Lakshmi in Krishna consciousness. Yes, absolutely. Arthik month too. Absolutely, yes, yes. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Um, if you did receive like some kind of windfall, uh -huh. like Maya poking you with a stick just to see what you're going to do. I mean, yeah, definitely. Why would you get a bunch of money for you know? Definitely, it would be. It's a, or at least you, we or a devotee might see it as a test. You could say a test from Maya, a test from Krishna. But yes, you know, it would be a. Uh, and we know, right? We I, we all we all have probably read or heard about. Of course, they weren't necessarily uh, God conscious, but people who win the lottery, you know, so many of them suffer so much. They either blow it all or they lose friends or all their friends are asking them for money all the time. There's so many people who say it was quite a uh, curse. And then here's some humor from Raghunandan. People love me because I'm, I've transcended my ego. I transcended egos better than anyone else. You'll never meet anyone who has transcended their ego better than me. 
<laughs> a straying into politics, I think, Raghunanda. <laughs> yes, yes, you should run for uh, senator. Yeah. And Hare, Krishna. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. This is Jeeva Tattu Das. Yeah, so, Queen Kunti, she is praying to Lord Krishna that people who have higher birth, you know, Janmashmi, and have a lot of opulence, wealth, riches, and people who are highly learned, and uh, those who are very beautiful or handsome, great looks, they become proud, Madaha Puma, right? They become very proud and delusion, so they cannot approach Lord Shri Krishna, while he can easily be approached by one who is materially exhausted, means who is spiritually inclined and doesn't have any of these material opulences, it's easier to approach Krishna. So she's praying right after, you know, Yadishti Maharaj has been coronated as the king and, you know, Kurukshetra war is over and Krishna is leaving for Dwarka. Mm. It tells us that how humble we have to, you know, constantly focus on staying because this, these things, they cause pride. Yes, yes. Recognition also cause pride. So again, we have to be very careful. And Suganda has very kindly put that verse there. And then here's something from the New Testament. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That is if a person thinks they're a rich man. If they think that they're a Christian servant, then it is possible. And we all know, um, for example, many, some of us, in there, at least I know Henry and I know uh, Ambarish Prabhu, who's a very rich man and is a great devotee of Krishna, and a great follower of Srila Prabhupada's. And uh, not proud of the fact that he's part of the Ford family. <laughs> What's that? No, he is very, very humble. Yeah, very humble. <laughs> yeah. So, so much there in, in, in this one verse. And I guess we'll talk about it a little later. Another thing we could talk about is just the importance of following Vaishnava etiquette. Because here, just one thing you forgot, you didn't stand up. Which, of course, that is the external thing, but the internal thing is lack of respect, right? But still, uh, even if you don't have the respect, still you follow the etiquette and you'll gain the respect. So following the respect without your heart is better than nothing, but it's not best. Okay, so let us, we're going on to verse 15. If a person says, one who is situated on the exalted throne of a king should not stand up to show respect to another king or a brahmana, it is be understood that he does not know the superior religious principles. And Prabhupada, we didn't have to read this prayer, but briefly he just says, here's the example of Narada Muni. That Narada Muni knew that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, and Krishna knew that Narada was his devotee, but although Krishna is the Supreme Lord and Narada is the Lord's devotee, the Lord observed the religious etiquette, so he respected Narada. Text 14. Leaders who have fallen into ignorance and who misguide people, mislead people, by directing them to the path of destruction, as described in the previous verse, are, in effect, boarding a stone boat, and so too are those who blindly follow them. A stone boat would be unable to float and would sink in the water with its passengers. Similarly, those who mislead people go to hell and their followers go with them. That's very strong. Uh, 
So Indra said, therefore, with great frankness and without duplicity, I shall now bow my head at the lotus feet of Brihaspati, the spiritual master of the demigods. Because he is in the mode of goodness, he is fully aware of all knowledge and is the best of the prominence. Now I shall touch his lotus feet and offer my obeisances unto him to try to satisfy him. Purport, coming to his senses, the first sentence, Indra realized that he was not a very sincere disciple of his spiritual master, Brihaspati. Therefore, he decided that henceforward, he would be uh, nisarta, non-duplicitous. And a little later, Prabhupada writes that a disciple should never be a hypocrite or be unfaithful to his spiritual master. And this is to one's spiritual master and also to Vaishnavas. You know, I, you know, we chant that, that, that the uh, Guru Vastakam, yes, you know, and we chant the last line of that, which is Yasya Prasadan Bhagavat Prashado, Yasya Prasadan Nagvati Katopi, that by the mercy of the spiritual master, uh, Yasya, one gets Krishna's mercy and Yasya, by displeasing, uh, Nagati Kutopi, uh, destination unknown. Uh, but this does not only apply to uh, our Diksha Guru. It can even, it applies also to devotees in general. If you, if you mistreat devotees in general, Nagati Kutopi. And if you please devotees, then yes, then you get Krishna's mercy. Uh, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about this, that, 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 uh, you know, um, things about pleasing great devotees or devotees and uh, committing offenses don't apply only to the really exalted devotees. They, they apply to the those who are, um, you know, uh, sadhakas, those who are invited sadhana bhakti. Um, we should avoid offending anyone. And of course, what to speak of great devotees. But uh, but we, we want the blessings. Krishna... Imagine if, if there's a neophyte devotee struggling in their Krishna consciousness and we somehow help them, we serve them. You don't think Krishna will be pleased? Because you'll be so pleased that this, you're helping this person progress towards, towards him. And of course, if we please someone who's very, very already connected very closely with Krishna, then that's, that's a benefit. But I just wanted to bring up that point that it's not just... Ours, that, that's a kind of, we've talked about this before, that's a kind of neophyte consciousness. Just like the, right, the Kanishta Adhikari, the neophyte devotee sees Krishna in the temple, but it doesn't know how to relate nicely with the devotees. So I, I, I suggest that that extends to one may be very, you know, very, very surrendered and very, you know, uh, always have their uh, palms folded when they're in front of their spiritual master, but treat other devotees like, eh, you know, Chop cabbage. Right. Um, so we shouldn't make that kind of uh, absolute distinction. There may be, there is some distinction because we also read in the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam and in the nectar of uh, devotion that there's different levels of devotees, a nectar of instruction specifically. Um, but that doesn't mean the ones who are junior are, you know, like, yeah, cello, cello. We should uh, be respectful of everyone and especially respectful maybe of those who are very, very advanced in Krishna consciousness. So, um, 
And here, Indra's realization is that he's not a very sincere disciple. So Prabhupada would sometimes say that this, in several places he would say the secret of success is to be serious and sincere. Maybe somebody could put in the diction def, dictionary definition of sincere in the chat or read it out loud if they could find it. Um, but it's, it's um, like, what would, what, is it, what would it mean to chant sincerely? What would you do where, where you would either feel yourself or other people would see you and say that, that you know, Raghunandan's chanting sincerely. What would that look like? Attentive to the holy name. Attentive, okay. What else would that look like? And also uh, an intention to be in a relationship with Krishna. Intention to be in relationship with Krishna, yes. I think Bhaktivinoda Thakur also says that you would find either a, uh, well, here we go, Sugan has put sincere, free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. Very similar to what you, Raghunan, the second thing you said, genuine feelings. Yeah, so Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about, you know, very practical things like, two places that you would find a, a, a sincere chanter. They would either be um, I, a, um, a place where there's no distractions, right? He says no distractions, or um, uh, with uh, chanting with other sincere devotees. And we can sometimes do that if, if we're not with other devotees. We could also play a tape of Srila Prabhupada chanting Japa, for example, like that. Um, there's two tapes of Prabhupada chanting. I... The, the one that we're, we've heard over the years where he says sit properly, of course, it's wonderful. It's, it's Prabhupada's chanting very fast. It was a, it was initiation. He had a lot of beads to chant. There's another one where Prabhupada's chanting more meditatively on uh, Japa. Um, that is also, we have both on the, uh, on the iPhone at uh, the temple. Um, and Henry plays the sit properly one every day. Very nice. So, okay, so devotee would also be Samadarshina. Very good. Uh, thank you, Jiva or Ananda Rupa. Um, so sincerity is without, what was it? Without, what would, what is Sugandha's, uh, without pretense, wasn't it? Uh, free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. So even if we don't have the deep genuine feelings, we are, hankering for that so we are uh, as Raghunandan Pu said being very attentive and Bhaktivinoda Thakur suggests therefore chanting in seclusion or with other devotees who are chanting attentively so some thoughts on being on sincerity well you can fake sincerity uh, yeah. so, so for me it's, it's internal uh, is my mind really focused on Krishna that's that's what I am concerned with. Yes, you can fake sincerity, uh, and and that could be a pretense, or it can be um, fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, uh, one time, say that. <laughs> the reason I say that is one time Andy <laughs> Prabhupada was asked, "How do you be humble?" And he said, "Just act humbly, and slowly it'll come to you." <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot to that, but. Uh, the final link, right? If you really want to do it, I think your mind has to really be focused. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And so it's the effort. You know, 
we understand that in our stage, we will not always be 100% attentive. But making the effort, you know, um, Buri John Prabhu used to always say about Java, just try your best. That was his simple instruction. Try your best. Other thoughts on sincerity? Also, with respect to Bhakti Ravinod Thakur, I heard once that he had a small room and he will go, go inside that room and close the door and chant his full rounds before he comes out of that room. Uh, nice. Yeah. He even said sometimes you can cover your head if, you're, if your <laughs> eyes are starting to look all over the place. And I always say, you know, don't do that while you're driving. Of course, probably shouldn't chant your 16 rounds when you're driving either, but that's another thing. Um, yeah. There's different things. Of, I think it's Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that you can be reading the mantra as you're chanting. There's a name, there's a Sanskrit word for that. I forget, I forget what it, uh, what it is. And Sudanis puts it, sincerity means to do something only for the pleasure of Krishna, not for name, fame, and any material benefits. Yes. And Nandi Mukhi says, there is no gap between what one speaks and what one thinks about. Well, then I guess I should stop talking. Class is over, Haribol. <laughs> one word after one word. One phrase after one phrase. Henry does it also. He looks at the mantra sometimes. Very good. Very good, Nandimuki. Yes. Or we could say that the, you know, yes, because as, as, as I've often said, it's easy to give a class. It's hard to do what you told others to do at the, after the class is over. <laughs> That's the uh, challenge. But sincerity is where our connection, our relationship with Krishna really starts to blossom. And it does, you can understand that a lot of the definitions that you're giving, sincerity, let's see, what does another Rupa say? Uh, Krishna is known as Baba Grahi Janardhan. If we are sincere in offering something to the Lord in devotion and love, he will accept it. The procedure may not be very Right? But the desire being sincere, he accepts our offering. Yes. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, that he accepts foodstuffs from devotees because they are offered to him in complete love and affection. That is required. So, sincerity is almost like the opposite of ego, isn't it? Right? So, it's, uh, it's something that we should be, we should be working on, a, hopefully on a daily basis be more and more sincere. Employers really like when they see a sincere employee. Of course, they like that, that he or she is also good at what they do, but is diligent, comes on time. And even a pujari is supposed to be like that, right? Prabhupada said the main thing about, about the uh, deity worship is cleanliness and timeliness. So, so there's also, my point is, there's external things that indicate, I don't know if they prove, that they indicate sincerity. They indicate sincerity. Yeah? Makes sense? By the way, can you all hear me well? I'm not using my earphones today. It's good. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So then shall we carry on? The next verse is 22. While Indra, the king of the demigods, thought in this way and repented in his own assembly, Brihaspati, the most powerful spiritual master, understood his mind. Thus he became invisible to Indra and left home, for Brihaspati was spiritually more powerful than King Indra. Although Indra searched vigorously with the assistance of the other demigods, he could not find Brihaspati. 
Then Indra thought, alas, my spiritual master has become dissatisfied with me, and now I have no means of achieving good fortune. Although Indra was surrounded by demigods, he could not find peace of mind. Hearing of the pitiable condition of King Indra, the demons, following the instructions of their guru, Sukracharya, uh, equipped themselves with weapons and declared war against the demigods. The demigods' heads, thighs, and arms, and other parts of their bodies were injured by the sharp arrows of the demons. The demigods, headed by Indra, saw no other recourse than to immediately approach Lord Brahma with bowed heads for shelter and proper instruction. When the most powerful Lord Brahma saw the demigods coming toward him, their bodies gravely injured by the arrows of the demons, he pacified them by his great causeless mercy and spoke as follows. Lord Brahma said, O best of the demigods, unfortunately because of madness resulting from your material opulence, you failed to receive Brihaspati properly when he came into your assembly. Because he is aware of the supreme Brahman and fully in control of his senses, he is the best of the Brahmanas. Therefore, it is very astonishing that you have acted impudently toward him. And the purport at the very end, Prabhupada writes, In a song we sing every day, Narotama Das Thakur says, Chakshu dhana dilo ye, janme janme prabhu se. The guru gives spiritual insight to the disciple, and therefore the guru should be considered his master, life after life. Under no circumstances should the guru be disrespected. But the demigods being puffed up by the material possessions were disrespectful to their guru. Therefore, Srimad Bhagavatam advises, Acharyam mam vijhaniyan, navaman yeta karhichit, namartya budhi yashu yeta. The acharya should always be offered respectful obeisances. One should never envy the acharya, considering him an ordinary human being. Actually, that wasn't uh, the verse that I asked you to read. But um, it's. I think the, the amazing thing is someone could read this and say, well, look, the author is also the guru, so he's telling everyone to bow down before him. Isn't that a sign of pride? But it would be if it were not for the fact that Prabhupada uh, exactly how, is saying exactly how he dealt with his guru. Right? If he hadn't done that and just said, worship me, worship me, then that would be like, you know, wow, this is some kind of weird organization. But the fact that he did that with his guru, and he's just explaining how the guru-disciple relationship is. So let's go on to the verse that I told you, asked you to read. Because of your misbehavior towards Bihaspati, you have been defeated by the demons. My dear demigods, since the demons were weak, having been defeated by you several times, how else could you who are so advanced in opulence, be defeated by them. And Prabhupada writes that, as stated in the Shastras, when one disrespects a respectful, a respectable superior, one loses his longevity and the results of his pious activities. And in this way, one is degraded. So this is showing that we need to be careful in the association of devotees. Familiarity can breed contempt, and we can become, you know, lazy, uh, lazy about the fact that we need to be respectful of devotees, those that are dear to Krishna. Um, so, a very important uh, point. 
and if you do, so even though they're demons, they became powerful because, uh, because they, they properly respected Sukracharya, even though he was not the greatest guru all the time, right? We, we, we learned that he, right? He told Bali Maharaj, don't, 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 don't show respect to Vamana Dev, right? So he wasn't like always the best guru in the world, but still he was in that position. They respected him. They got power. Some questions or comments on this? And Mun says, Srila Prabhupada has said that the guru is not God, but on the same level as God, since the guru is showing the path to God to his disciples. Yes. And he really, uh, in, the, in, in the early, early, early days of ISKCON, he really kind of um, surprised the devotees, right? Because he was giving so many classes about bogus yogis. And, you know, he is not God, G-O-D. He is dog, D-O-G. And then he posts, you know, one day um, that, that you know, initiated disciples have to uh, serve the spiritual master, on, you know, at, on the same level as God. And it was like, wah, wah, you know, and then later he explains that um, he's the supreme personality of servitude, servitor Godhead. Some thoughts on this? So, Prabhuji, I was, uh, I wanted to mention that when I, <clears throat> attended the disciple course, I really gained more appreciation <clears throat> for uh, having uh, respect for not just Diksha Guru, all the uh, devotees who I have learned a lot from. First of all, to understand that, uh, you know, we can have many spiritual masters, like, you know, who we learn from, you know, scriptures and otherwise about devotional life also. So like what you mentioned earlier that one must be very careful if out of ego or other anarthas, we may commit some offenses against other devotees. What to, you know, say about <clears throat> other devotees who, uh, who train us, teach us or mentor us. Just thinking that, oh, you know, I have my Diksha Guru, so I, I don't care now, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. devotees have to be really watchful and careful. Actually, being kind to other living entities, you know, Jeevadaya, I mean, it's a big umbrella under that, you know, not to even uh, put others in anxiety or distress. If one is careful of that, to great degree, they can, without making effort, they can yes. avoid doing offenses. Yeah, that's why, uh, thank you for bringing it up, Ananda Rupa, Amantaji, um, because um, that's why I've always been of kind of two minds when, uh, well, like, for example, here, uh, if Nandi Muki calls Raghunandan Prabhu her godbrother, right? But doesn't call Jiva Tattva Prabhu her godbrother, right? Because, you know, you, uh, Nandi Muki is initiated by the same spiritual master as Raghunandan Prabhu and Jiva Tattva Prabhu is initiated by a different spiritual master. Uh, I've always been of two minds because on one hand, I don't think that's so healthy, you know, uh, because then it's saying, well, it's kind of like, you know, you're with me and you're not. You know, you're a godbrother, but you're not, you know. On the other hand, I it, it is, I think it is nice because, you know, in a big organization like ISKCON, you, you, it's healthy to have smaller groups on one hand, as long as the groups get to get, get along with each other, because you can't just associate with everybody, right, all the time. So, so I've always, but I, but I personally have avoided you know, um, calling only disciples of my spiritual master, my god brothers and god sisters, and not others. But I can see, 
I can see both sides of that issue, so to speak, or that it's not an issue, but that 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 point of view. But you're but you're bringing up another rupa machi that, uh, um, yeah, it's not just diksha guru. You may have a, you may have a much stronger. Some people may have a much stronger relationship with their shiksha guru than their diksha guru. They may rarely see their diksha guru, but they may see their shiksha guru uh, more regularly. So. And sometimes, Prabhuji, the devotees don't actually realize that they may be uh, following certain, um, you know, uh, not etiquette, but certain behavior unintentionally by forming groups and all. Their motto may not be to form groups and just be, you know, interacting with their own God brothers, but just, again, there are just too many activities to attend to and unknowingly that happens. Yes. But it may also happen that intentionally, you know, due to whatever in someone's heart, they may be doing it. So this course, you know, by because they had such wonderful uh, uh, material, the course uh, agenda was uh, designed in such a way they had the skits in which uh, the groups were made to understand what is the appropriate way of dealing or conducting and what is the inappropriate way. So yes. when one introspects, looks at this is the inappropriate behavior, this is the appropriate, then we come to an understanding, okay, you know, this is how we should. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice course. It's a very well done course. And of course, our, uh, for most of us on this call, our local GBC, uh, Nutama Prabhu was the main, was one of the main um, designers of the course. Some uh, other questions or comments on this? From God brothers, God sisters. <laughs> I think it would be very nice if it felt like a family. And yeah. if you look, look at a big expanded family, not everybody's your aunt, not everybody's your brother. There's all different relationships. But if it feels like it's a family, then that's... That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's cousins. <laughs> and there's uncles and aunts. Yeah. Yeah. And one says, uh, the Lord Dattatreya talks about, uh, the 24 gurus. Yes. In the Bhagavatam 11th canto. Yes. Thank you. Uh, either Jiva Taprabhu or Nandarupa Matsuri. Um, yes. And in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it says that one's Shiksha guru and Diksha guru should be respected on the same level. So that's also something to keep in mind. Okay, so let us continue. We are not going far. We're going up to verse 24. Oh, Indra, your enemies, the demons, were extremely weak because... Did I, did I read that? Oh, it was similar. Uh, because of their disrespect towards Sukracharya, but since they have now worshipped Sukracharya with great devotion, they have again become powerful. By their devotion to Sukracharya, they have increased their strength so much that now they are even able to easily seize my abode from me. Text 24, because of their firm determination to follow the instructions of Sukracharya, his disciples, the demons, are now unconcerned about the demigods. In fact, kings and others who have determined faith in the mercy of Brahmanas, cows, and the supreme personality of God and Krishna, and who always worship these three, are always strong in their position. Kalpad writes that, therefore, one who worships Govinda must satisfy him by worshiping the Brahmins and cows. If a government worships the Brahmins, the cows, and Krishna, Govinda, it is never defeated anywhere. Otherwise, it must always be defeated and condemned everywhere. 
At the present moment, all over the world, governments have no respect for Brahmins, cows, and Govinda, and consequently, they are, there are chaotic conditions all over the world. In summary, although the demigods were very powerful in material opulence, the demons defeated them in battle because the demigods had behaved disrespectfully towards a Brahmana, Brihaspati, who was their spiritual master. Yeah, so people just don't know, you know. Uh, I mean, some people have respect for Brahmins, and I use air quotes because it might be priests or rabbis or etc., ministers. Um, of course, that, that probably is less now than in, than in bygone days. Cows, like, you know, you can pretty much forget it. Uh, there was a businessman, a Western businessman who came to the temple last week. Very nice, nice person, you know. And I said, oh, we, uh, there's uh, two of our cows. And he said, what do you do with those? Do you eat them? <laughs> you know, it's like, Hare Krishna, no, we don't. Uh, and he, later he, he realized, wow, that was a real stupid statement. And he apologized, by the way. But, you know, I won't, I won't, today I won't do the statistic thing, but I'm sure somebody could, you know, show the statistics, how many cows are slaughtered in America yearly or in the world. And it's, it's unbelievable, the numbers. And of course, chickens are probably 10 or 20 or 50 times that amount. But uh, here it's specifically mentioning about cows. So, so people aren't thinking a part of, well, two out of three people would, uh, would in general, would agree with who are theistic, right? You know, Brahmins or, like I said, priests, etc. And God, Krishna or Govinda. The, cow, the cows, they wouldn't have the slightest, most people would not have the slightest idea about about cows but the other two they probably would but for us um it's uh it's important and what a vision Prabhupada had he said that if these three were respected properly then any government that did respect those three would would uh would prosper and anyone that doesn't respect those three is doomed basically now you know try to run for president on that platform. I promise that I will respect cows, Krishna and Brahmins if you vote for me. And the whole and the country will be so prosperous. You know, people go, yeah, right. Yeah, anyway, well, of course for some people it might be a breath of fresh air after uh, so many other things. But what an interesting vision Prabhupada had such a different vision than what most people have in the world. And for devotees, you know, I think maybe people in general also, but I think especially for us, if we've been around a while, you know, we, we hear promises by politicians and this and that. And we know it's like, eh, yeah, you know, yeah, you might. It, it, it's a little like, at least from my point of view, uh, they're often like blowing on a boil. It may help a little bit, but, you know, the only thing you can do with a boil is you have to lance it, right? You know, blowing on it doesn't help much. So... You know, pouring water on the the leaves. Most of political promises are pouring water on the leaves instead of pouring water on the root. And here in this purport, Prabhupada is being so bold as to tell us what is pouring water on the root of the tree. Questions or comments on this point? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, I'm Mukti Devi. Speaking from New Jersey. Yeah, from New Jersey, all the way. <laughs> yeah. I just have a, a comment or you can say questions with regard to verse 23. Okay. Um, 
it appears to me that the Brahma is emphasizing that the demons worshiping uh, Shukracharya to to gain power. Uh huh. Or yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's just a a contrast to the devatas they worship in their spiritual master. You mean they? Do you mean that they have a different like, motive in doing it? Right. Right. Okay. Um, they were trying to get something material, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and they got it right. <laughs> At least temporarily, they got it because uh, they had. But so that's that's another interesting angle on it, Nandimuki. Um, the the motivation, because the one the point that I had picked up on primarily is that by respecting a great soul, and Sukracharya is no, you know, he's not a small time person. Um, one gets uh, success in life. But you're looking at it from a from a motivational point of view. That's that's interesting. I, I I don't know if the demigods sometimes they their motivation is just to defeat the demons. I believe right because they are not necessarily pure devotees. But they but we would assume that they have a different motivation in general than the demons. Of course, we're going to hear about one of the greatest demons to ever live. Um, one of the most pious demons, right? Uh, what three chapters about Vitrasura? Three or four chapters. So we're, that's coming attractions very soon. We're going to hear about Vitrasura. Thank you for that, Nanimuki. Anything else? Then let us carry on. Um, we are going up to thirty-three, I believe. Yes, thirty-three. So nine verses. O oh, demigods, I instruct you. Who's speaking? Lord Brahma. Thank you. I instruct you to approach Vishwarupa, the son of Twasta, and accept him as your guru. He is a, he is a pure and very powerful brahmana, undergoing austerity and penances. Pleased by your worship, he will fulfill your desires, provided that you tolerate. This is an interesting catch, right? Provided that you tolerate his being inclined. To the side, to side with the demons. Isn't that interesting? Lord Brahma chose Tvasta like that. Srila Sukadeva Goswami continued, thus advised by Lord Brahma and relieved of their anxiety, all the demigods, because you need some Brahmana, you need some Brahmana to serve. All the demigods went to the sage Vishwarupa, the son of Tvasta. My dear king, they embraced him and spoke as follows. The demigods said, Beloved Vishwarupa, may there be all good fortune for you. We, the demigods, have come to your ashram as your guests. Please try to fulfill our desire according to the time, since we are on the level of your parents. O Brahmana, the highest duty of a son, even though he has sons of his own, is to serve his parents. And what to speak of a son who is a brahmachari? The acharya, the spiritual master who teaches all the Vedic knowledge and gives initiation by offering the sacred thread, is the personification of all the Vedas. Similarly, a father personifies Lord Brahma, a brother, King Indra, a mother, the planet Earth, and a sister, Mercy. A guest personifies religious principles. An invited guest personifies the demigod, Agni. 
And all living entities personify Lord Vishnu, the supreme personality of Godhead. Dear son, we have been defeated by our enemies and therefore we are very much aggrieved. Please mercifully fulfill our desire by relieving our distress through the strength of your austerities. Please fulfill our prayers. Isn't it interesting how different culture, different mindset, they didn't say we've been defeated by them so we should, you know, increase our training as military warriors and go back to school and, you know, and build a nuclear bomb. They, they, they needed to please a Brahmana. <laughs> it's a very different mindset. Since you are completely aware of the Supreme Brahman, and of course they did get training as Chhatris. Since you are completely aware of the Supreme Brahman, you are a perfect Brahmana. And therefore, you are the spiritual master of all orders of life. We accept you as our spiritual master and director, so that by the power of your austerity, we may easily defeat the enemies who have conquered us. The demigods continued, Do not fear criticism for being younger than us. Such etiquette does not apply in regard to Vedic mantras. Except in relationship to Vedic mantras, seniority is determined by age. But one may offer respectful obeisances even to a younger person who has advanced in chanting Vedic mantras. Therefore, although you are junior in relationship to us, you may become our priest without hesitation. Purport, beginning of the purport. It is said, Vidhatvam Vayasa Vina. One may be senior without being advanced in age. Even if one is not old, one gains seniority if he is senior in knowledge. Vishwarupa was junior in relationship to the demigods because he was their nephew. But the demigods wanted to accept him as their priest and therefore he would have to accept obeisances from them. The demigods explained that this should not be a cause of hesitation. Um, he could become their priest because he was advanced in Vedic knowledge. So very interesting points here, right? that we heard that etiquette is very important, right? Because that's how this whole mess started by Indra and maybe the other demigods not standing up when Vrihaspati entered. So etiquette is very important, but certain aspects of etiquette as we're, as we're reading here are not necessarily the most important factor. It's not that it's not etiquette, but that knowledge is also, is not only based on, and age is not the only factor in, in offering respect. And, and, and on a different emphasis, like Prabhupada would say, who is the oldest person in the room? It's the person who is going to be the first one to die. They're the oldest person. So um, we can also look at it from that point of view. Of course, we also know the four Kumaras, although they were very old, they appeared very, very young um, like that. I, I don't... I'm trying to think, but I don't think Sukadeva Goswami was the oldest person in the. the um, well, I mean, Sutta Goswami. I don't believe he was the oldest person in the assembly of Naimisharanya, if I if I recall um, properly. So, so age is important. We we offer our respects to seniors. It's part of etiquette. It's part of just you know a, a, a nice society, but one can also even um, go beyond that criteria and accept other criteria like one being very pure or one being very knowledgeable. 
So, son, what are your questions or comments around uh, etiquette and, and, and age and being younger and, and all those things? And in, a, in, a, in an organization like ISKCON, so um, I've been a devotee much longer than Radhika Raman Prabhu. I'm older than Radhika Raman Prabhu. And he's much more knowledgeable than me. And I gladly offer my obeisances unto him. And then I also know like friends of mine, like Kadama Kanamaraj, he has disciples who are older than him by age. I initiate older people. Um, I even think even older devotees, uh, I think even Gopal Krishnamaraj may have a disciple or two or three that are older than him, even though he's well into his 70s now. So it's not the only consideration, but what are your thoughts or, or questions? Have another group? Yeah, but it's a very nice principle to live by uh, particularly in the modern age. Uh, sometimes I have seen there is a degradation in consciousness when this mindset creeps in that, oh, I have been a devotee for a long number of years and I am senior because of my number of years and my age. And whereas the other devotee might be just young a number of years of devotional practice, but might be much elevated personality in terms of consciousness and knowledge. So that's a very important point that you are making that it's a, it's a good principle to live by on how we respect others based upon their age, based upon their wisdom and uh, devotion and so on and so forth. It's just, otherwise, we are just going by the material designations. Uh-huh. And I think that first person you were talking about, you're referring to me, yes? No, no. Okay. Thank you for that. And uh, Sarah, uh, let's see, uh, Suganda has written, every man should act like this. When, now, this is, this is nice. Uh, when he meets a person more qualified than himself, he should be very pleased. And if you're not in good consciousness, what happens when you meet a person more qualified than yourself? Envy. envy. Envy, yes. Envy. You try to put them down. Yeah, they might be this, but actually they're like that. Um, he should be very, uh, when he meets someone less qualified than himself, he should be compassionate. And if you're not in good consciousness, what would you do when you meet someone less qualified? Disdain them. Yeah. Disdain them? Is that what you said, Andy? Yeah. Okay. What did you say, Suganda? You feel proud. You feel proud. Okay. Yes. And when he meets someone equal to himself, he should make friendship with him instead of um, compete with them. Yep. Right. Okay. In this way, one is never affected by the three. Wow. What a statement this is. In this way, one is never affected by the threefold miseries of this material world. This is Narada speaking to Dhruva Maharaj in the fourth canto. Thank you for that, Subhanna. Lovely. Other questions or comments on this uh, this point that we're discussing. I don't know if this is on the point or whatever, but it somehow it came to mind that I don't remember the exact context and I'm paraphrasing, but I remember something about Tamal Krishna Maharaj telling one of his God brothers that you might come to a point where you find one of your disciples is more advanced than you are. Even yes. And Prabhupada talks about that. in I think the fourth canto. does anyone remember? He said he's hoping that one of his 
disciples will become a pure devotee and then he can help take Prabhupada back to Godhead. <laughs> Out of his incredible humility. But yes, yes, that that's... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's... The disciple would never think like that, but the spiritual master may think like that. And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur used to address his disciples as Prabhu, right? Yeah. Yes, and when they paid obeisances, he would say, Dasos me. I am your servant. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Shall we continue then? We are going up to verse 36. Sukadeva Goswami continued, when all the demigods requested the great Vishwarupa to be their priest, Vishwarupa, who was advanced in austerity, was very pleased. He replied to them as follows. O demigods, although the acceptance of priesthood is decried as, cause, as causing the loss of previously acquired Brahminical power, how can someone like me refuse to accept your personal request? You are all exalted commanders of the entire universe. I am your disciple and must take many lessons from you. Therefore, I cannot refuse you. I must agree for my own benefit. O exalted governors of various planets, the true Brahmana, who has no material possessions, maintains himself by the possession of accepting uh, silonchana. In other words, he picks up grains left in the field and on the ground in the, whole, in the wholesale marketplace. By this means, Householder Brahmanas who actually abide by the principles of austerity and penance maintain themselves and their families and perform all necess necessary pious activities. A Brahmana who desires to achieve happiness by gaining wealth through professional priesthood must certainly have a low, very low mind. How shall I accept such priesthood? So it's, uh, yeah, it's very... It can be a challenge. This is one of, I believe it's Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur talks about this, that when one makes advancement in Krishna consciousness, sometimes material opulences come their way. You know, people are offering them this and this and this and that. Um, one needs to not get proud of such offerings and either use those offerings in Krishna's service very strictly or find a way to give them away. <laughs> you know, when Prabhupada would get a gift, let's say uh, uh, people would sometimes buy him rings. I don't know why, but uh, they would. And then he would give that the other ring away to someone. <laughs> one time, I guess I no need to mention names. So one time, one of his lady disciples was very, um, distraught after Prabhupada chastising her very strongly. And Prabhupada understood this, and he later called her in the room, took the ring off his finger, and just gave it to her. Like that. So let's see what the purport says. Such priests never demand anything from their disciples. This is like four sentences now. Such priests never demand anything from their disciples to live in opulence imitating Kshatriyas or Vaishyas. In other words, a pure Brahmana voluntarily accepts a life of poverty and lives in complete dependence on the mercy of the Lord. Now, if you only read that purport, you might, and of course, we, we would not, none of us would ever do this, but someone who knew about Srila Prabhupada might criticize him. 
saying, well, but no, but you, you know, you had, uh, sometimes you lived in very opulent situations, very nice room in Detroit Temple and, and even your rooms in, in, uh, that, that the room that they had for you in Juhu is very opulent. So let's read the last sentence. The conclusion is that although a Brahmana may receive much opulence from his disciples, he should not utilize the rewards of his priesthood for his personal benefit. He must use them for the service of the Supreme Personality of God. And so now if you read the rest of the purport, you would glorify Prabhupada because he, he may have accepted opulence sometimes, but what did he do with that opulence? Does anyone know where his Guru Dakshina went? Where he put all the money that he got from Dakshina? Printing books? Um, maybe sometimes, but generally it went into the uh, MBT, the Mayapur Vrindavan Trust, which is a trust to make sure that no matter what happens, World War Three or whatever, the deities in Mayapur Vrindavan would always be worshipped. There would be money for them. Even, even if ISKCON fell apart, the deities they would be taken care of. So that's what that was where he put his dakshina. Yeah, you know he didn't he didn't use it for himself. Um, <laughs> I I know this of everyone, but I, I just be out of personal uh, experience with His Holiness Gopal Krishna Maharaj. So first of all, I've taken lunch with him a few times, and it's <laughs> he's not eating opulently. He's because of his healthy diet, nothing has salt. So I said, Maharaj, I know I'm supposed to be, could I get a little salt, please? <laughs> and he made, oh, sorry, sorry, and rang his bell. And then one time his disciples, this is in India, right? And you can imagine how expensive uh, a BMW is in India, right? It, you know, the, the import charges are very high for luxury cars. So the devotees, I, I don't know if it was for Vyasa Puja or whatever, they bought him an MB, uh, BMW. He would not get in the car. He absolutely refused. He said, sell this immediately. Uh, I'm fine with the Toyota that you're driving me around town with. And uh, if you want to, you can use the money for the book fund. But he wouldn't even sit in the car. So uh, these are uh, examples. Now, Prabhupada, of course, he was a world acharya. And, and so one time the devotees uh, rented a Rolls Royce to pick him up with. And a reporter said, why? You know, why are you, you know, why do you have this opulent car? He said, well, you know, then he, you know, he pulled out that, uh, Yesya Prasada, Bhagavad Prasada, right? He said, for the representative of God, this is useless. It's a Rolls Royce. Why not a car made of gold? <laughs> Sometimes she'll probably love to kind of play with the reporters, you know, in that way. <laughs> like that. Yeah. But he didn't, he performed such, such austerity, sleeping two, three hours a night to get up and write his books. And, and, and at the age of, you know, 75, 76, 77, 78, traveling around the world, time zones, jet lag, managerial headaches. Took on, he, he would have been much more peaceful, much, a hundred times more peaceful staying in Vrindavan, at the Radha Damodar Temple and living out his life there. Uh, yeah. And even one time, a, a reporter on the other side, a reporter tried to, uh, you know, say, uh, so Prabhupada, you know, they, they had read, I guess, the Bhagavad Gita, and they said, your disciples only sleep six hours a day. Of course, elsewhere, Prabhupada says six to eight, but, um, and sometimes seven, he mentions also. Um, 
And so how many, so then the, the reporter said, how many hours do you sleep? And he was like trying to like, he was thinking that Prabhupada's living the life of luxury and the disciples were all performing these austerities and just giving money to the guru. Uh, and uh, I think one of the disciples said, no, Prabhupada only sleeps four hours. We're trying to protect. And Prabhupada said, four hours? He said, he said, 10 o'clock until 12.30. How long is that? How many hours? He said, uh, two and a half. He said, yes, then I take 45-minute nap during the day. <laughs> so, so they couldn't catch him in that idea that, you know, this fake religious leader is, is enjoying life while, um, you know. But, of course, we, you know, we do want to be careful because we do know that um, we won't mention uh, other spiritual leaders had a collection of Rolls Royces and, and things like that. And that... that that spiritual leader may not have been um, practicing pure devotional service. We'll just leave it at that. We're not here to criticize too much. Okay, so that is verse 36. Was there any um, questions or comments on that? No, I just, you know, I, that interesting word, salochana, you know, uh, collecting the leftover grains, you know, it reminded me in the Bible, they talk about um, the poor people were given permission to glean the grains, you know, that's where the word glean comes from. So the poor people are allowed to go into the field and get the grains that were left over after the harvest. Uh-huh. Thank you for that, Henry. Our biblical scholar. Anything else on this point? And Prabhupada's uh, personal example is a perfect example of Yukta Vairagya principle. Mm. He never rejected anything unnecessarily or accepted anything, just not for himself, but only in Krishna's service. Anything that can be used in Krishna's service or to propagate Krishna's message, he would accept it and use it, not for his own use. Yes, that's right. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so we will um, finish this chapter and then go on to the next chapter. All of you are my superiors. Therefore, although accepting priesthood is sometimes reproachable, I cannot refuse even a small request from you. I agree to be your priest. I shall fulfill your request by dedicating my life and possessions. Sri Sukadeva Goswami continued, O king, after making this promise to the demigods, the exalted Vishwarup, surrounded by the demigods, performed the necessary priestly activities with great enthusiasm and attention. The opulence of the demons, who are generally known as the enemies of the demigods, was protected by the talents and tactics of Supracharja. But Vishwarupa, who was most powerful, composed a protective prayer known as the Narayan Kavacha. By this intelligent prayer, mantra, he took away the opulence of the demons and gave it to the to Mahendra, the king of heaven. Vishwarup, who was most liberal, spoke to King Indra, Sahas Raksha, the secret mon- the secret hymn that protected Indra and conquered the military power of the demons. Thus end the Bhaktivinanta purports of the sixth canto, seventh chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Indra offends his spiritual master, Brihaspati. And now, the Narayana Kavaksha shield. And we are reading up to verse 17. Wow. Okay. Are you ready? Next chapter. We're really moving along now.
King Friction inquired from Sukadeva Swami, My Lord, kindly explain the Vishnu Mantra armor that protected King Indra and enabled him to conquer his enemies along with their carriers and enjoy the opulence of the three worlds. Please explain to me that Narayana armor by which King Indra achieved success in battle, conquering the enemies who were endeavoring to kill him. Sukadeva Goswami said, King Indra, the leader of the demigods, inquired about the armor known as Narayana Kavacha from Vishwarupa, who was engaged by the demigods as their priest. Please hear Vishwarupa's reply with great attention. Vishwarupa said, If some form of fear arrives, one should wash his hands and legs clean and then perform achmana. Achmana is when you take like the, uh, here. This is an achmana cup, right? And it has water. And you, uh, usually you say achmana and you take some water. Om Keshavaya Namaha. Right? For those who aren't familiar, Om Narayana Namaha. Om Aravaya Namaha. So that's achmana. And then uh, chant this this Om Apavitra Pavitrova Sarvavastam Katopiva Yatsmaret Pundarika Aksham Sabhaya Bhantara Suchi Shi Vishnu Shi Vishnu Shi Vishnu. Then one should touch Krusa grass and sit gravely and silently facing north. So this is all getting prepared to recite the mantra. When completely purified, one should touch the mantra composed of eight syllables to the eight parts of his body and touched the mantra composed of 12 syllables to his hand. Thus, in the following manner, he should bind himself with the Narayan coat of armor. First, while chanting the mantra composed of eight syllables, Om Namo Narayana, na, Narayanaya, beginning with the pranava, pranava, or the syllable Om, one should touch his hands to the eight parts of his body, starting with the two feet and progressing systematically to the knees, thighs, abdomen, heart, chest, mouth, and head. Then one should chant the mantra in reverse, beginning from the last syllable, ya, while touching the parts of his body in the reverse order. These two processes are known as utpati nyasa and samhara nyasa, respectively. Then one should chant the mantra composed of 12 syllables, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Proceeding uh, each syllable by the Omkar, one should place the syllable, syllables of the mantra on the tips of his fingers, beginning with the index finger of the right hand and concluding with the index finger of the left hand. The four remaining syllables should be placed on the joints of the thumbs. One must then chant the mantra of six syllables, Om Vishnave Namaha. One should place the syllable Om on his heart, the syllable V on the top of his head, the syllable Sa between his eyebrows, the syllable Na on his tuft of hair, Sika, and the syllable Ve between his eyes. The chanter of the mantra should then place the syllable Na on all joints of his body and meditate on the syllable Ma as being a weapon. He should thus become the perfect personification of the mantra. Thereafter, adding Visarga to the final syllable Ma, he should chant the mantra Maha, Astraya, Pat, Pat, 
in all directions, beginning from the east. In this way, all directions will be bound by the protective armor of the mantra. After finishing this chanting, one should think himself qualitatively one with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is full in six opulences and is worthy to be meditated upon. Then one should chant the following protective prayer to Lord Narayan, the Narayana Kavancha. Okay, so here's the beginning of the Narayana The Supreme Lord, who sits on the back of the bird Garuda, touching him with his lotus feet, holds eight weapons, the conch shell disc, shield sword, club arrows, bows, and ropes. May that supreme personality of God protect me at all times with his eight arms. Uh, He is all-powerful because he fully possesses the eight mystic powers, the yoga cities, anima, lagima, etc., one second. Okay. So that's the beginning, the first verse of the mantra. First mantra. May the Lord, who assumes the body of a great fish, protect me in the water from the fierce animals that are associated, that are associates of the demigod Varuna. By expanding his illusory energy, the Lord assumed the form of the dwarf Vamana. May Vamana protect me on the land, since the gigantic form of the Lord Vishwarupa, um, conquers the three worlds, may he protect me in the sky. May Lord Nishingadev, who appeared as the enemy of Hiranyakashipu, protect me in all directions. His loud laughing vibrated in all directions. His loud, his loud laughing vibrated in all directions and caused the pregnant wives of the Asuras to have miscarriages. May that Lord be kind enough to protect me in difficult places like the forest and battlefront. The supreme indestructible Lord is ascertained through the performance of ritualistic sacrifices and is therefore known as Yagneshwara. In his incarnation of Lord, as Lord Bor, he raised the planet Earth from the waters at the bottom of the universe and kept it on his pointed tusk. May that Lord protect me from rogues in the street. May Parashuram protect me on the tops of mountains and may the elder brother of heart, Lord Ramachandra, along with his brother Lakshman, protect me in foreign countries. May Lord Narayan protect me from unnecessary following false religious systems and falling from my duties due to madness. May the Lord in his appearances, Nara, protect me from unnecessary pride. May Lord Dattatreya, the master of all mystic powers, protect me from falling while uh, while performing bhakti yoga. And may Lord Kapila, the master of all good qualities, protect me from the material bondage of fruitive activities. May Sanat Kumar protect me from lusty desires. As I begin some auspicious activity, may Lord Hayagriva protect me from being an offender by neglecting to offer respectful obeisances to the Supreme Lord. May Devarshi Narada protect me from committing offenses in worshiping the deity. And may Lord Korma, the tortoise, protect me from falling into the unlimited hellish planets. Prabhupada writes, Lusty desires are very strong in everyone, and they are the greatest impediment to the discharge of devotional service. Therefore, those who are very much influenced by lusty desires are advised to take shelter of Sanat Kumar, the great brahmachari devotee. Narada Muni, who is the guide for Archana, deity worship, and the author of Narada Pancharatra, 
which prescribes the regulated principles for worshiping the deity. Everyone engaged in deity worship, whether at home or in the temple, should always seek the mercy of Devarshi Narada in order to avoid the 32 offenses while worshiping the deity. So we can take, you know, it's, it's interesting taking shelter, who had thought, taking shelter of Sanna Kumar, if one feels lost, is taking shelter of Narada Muni uh, to avoid offenses while doing deity worship. <clears throat> um, very instructive there. Some thoughts on that? If not, we can continue. Let me see something in the chat. Um, six, eight. Oh, okay. Thank you for just putting that there. All right, so let us continue. I think we're going up to just 19, two verses later. May the Supreme Personality of God in his incarnation, Dhanvantari, relieve me from undesirable eatables and protect me from physical illness. May Lord Rishabdhev, who conquered the, his inner and outer senses, protect me from fear produced by the duality of heat and cold. May Yagna protect me from defamation and harm from the populace. And may Lord Balaram as Shesha protect me from envious serpents. May the supreme, may the personality of Godhead in his incarnation as Vyasadeva protect me from all kinds of ignorance resulting from the absence of Vedic knowledge. May Lord Buddha Day protect me from the activities opposed to Vedic principles and from lazy, and from laziness that causes one to madly forget the Vedic principles of knowledge and ritualistic action. May Kalki Dev, the supreme personality of Godhead who appeared as an incarnation to protect religious principles, protect me from the dirt of the age of Kali. Wow. Um, about Lord Buddha, I thought this was interesting. It says, if the Vedic injunctions, this is just a little down past the uh, Sanskrit there. If the Vedic injunctions allow animal killing, I do not accept the Vedic principles. That's what Buddha said. Thus, he actually saved people who acted according to religious, to Vedic principles. One should therefore surrender to Lord Buddha so that he may, so that he can help one avoid misusing the injunctions of the Vedas. I thought that was brilliant. Could you imagine? You know, we sometimes misuse Shastra. We don't apply it properly. So we can pray to Lord Buddha that we don't misuse Shastra. Isn't that nice? I, I never thought about that before. We can pray to Lord Buddha that we don't misuse Shastra. And then a little at the end, unfortunately, because of Kali Yuga, foolish people do not surrender to the lotus feet of Krishna. Even most people who claim to belong to the Vedic system of religion are actually opposed to the Vedic principles. Every day they manufacture a new type of dharma on the plea that whatever one manufactures is also a path of liberation. Atheistic men generally say, yatamat tatapat, as many paths, as many ways. According to this view, there are hundreds and thousands of different opinions in human society, and each opinion is a valid religious principle. This philosophy of rascals has killed the religious principles mentioned in the Vedas, and such philosophies will become increasingly influential as Kali Yuga progresses. In the last stage of Kali Yuga, Kalki Dev, the fierce incarnation of Keshava, will descend to kill all the atheists and will save only the devotees of the Lord. So we can pray to Kalki, it says here, that um, to protect us from the dirt of Kali Yuga. So time is up for this week.
we we did well. We almost covered uh, everything, um, but we should not misuse the Vedas. <clears throat> Where there's so many fake fakes in the guise of Vedic, quote Vedic in Kali Yuga. Um, and it's important also to know the context. I'll just end with this, that um, here in the purport, Prabhupada is glorifying Vyasadeva for writing all these different books. But we know from the first canto that he got chastised a bit, didn't he? By Narada Muni, that you wrote all these books that don't give the essence, that don't directly glorify the Supreme Personality of God. And so it's, it's so important to know the context. In one context, Prabhupada is writing in this context here, in this purport, about just how vast Vyasadeva's knowledge is, <coughs> how learned he is. So he's glorifying Vyasadeva. And he does mention the Bhagavatam. But in another place, Narada is chastising Vyasadeva because he didn't just focus on glorifying Krishna. So different emphases emphasize in different places. So we will finish this chapter next week. And then we will start hearing about Vritrasura. And we will hear about Vritrasura, yes, I was right, for the next four chapters. So I, uh, I hope your Kartik Prat is going well. I hope you're, you know, chanting at least 64 rounds a day. No, but you're doing whatever uh, is, works for you. At least offering a candle to Krishna and uh, chanting Dhammadrasakam is nice. And we will see you all next week. Thank you very much.